We are continuing in the Gospel of Mark. No surprises there, right? You kind of know that, that we're in the Gospel of Mark. If you've been here for any length of time, we're in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we will continue today, as you've heard the Scripture, in Mark 6, verses 1 to 6. I'm just waiting for the PowerPoint to come up. Uh, there, please. Thank you. And, uh, you know, today we're looking at the fact that there was no welcome mat at the home for King Jesus. No welcome mat. Now, here's a question. Have you ever been not welcome somewhere? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever felt that you were there, but you weren't really appreciated? You weren't wanting, they weren't wanting you around. You were being, well, here's a good word for today, tolerated. Have you ever felt like you've been just tolerated? I know that I have personally many times have felt that way, probably will feel that way in the future. And it's just the reality of our world that we live in. I just lost my candy down on the floor. Oh, dear. <laughs> if you wondered what I was looking at. Last week, we looked at two miracles, didn't we? We looked at two miracles and the miracle of faith, this wonderful aspect of faith. Jesus assured the woman who was, had that disease for 12 years that her cure came through faith. Remember that he said to Jairus, when Jairus' child was dead, if you only believe, if you have faith. And so we saw that last week. We celebrated that, and we responded to that. Well, this week, you know what we're looking at? complete opposite. This is that what Mark is doing and showing us. Here we are today looking at the opposite. We're looking at unbelief. I like the story. Somebody said unbelief has tremendous consequences. It's a true story. Happened back in 1938. So a man buys an extremely sensitive barometer. Now, I don't know if any of the farmers still use barometers, but barometers were popular at one point. We didn't have all the weathermen that told us everything that we didn't need to know about the weather. They had barometers. And so this barometer was from a very well-respected company. He had paid quite a bit for this barometer. And when this barometer arrived, he got very, very frustrated because the sector kept marking towards hurricane. And he shook it, and he knocked it, and he tried to do everything he could, and the needle would not move. And so he said, this is ridiculous. They have sent me a defective barometer. He wrote a message to the company in anger, and the next day he went to work and he was ready to mail that letter because he was so angry and he went to work and he mailed the letter and he got home and the barometer was gone, the house was gone, everything was gone because a hurricane had hit. True story. Consequences of unbelief that the barometer was working. And so we look today about the challenges of uh, of consequences in our lives of unbelief and those around us. So we see today that Jesus, in a town where they uh, have this unbelief, it causes them to reject their very Messiah, the Messiah who had come to bring them to the good news. See, the truth today, first of all, familiarity breeds contempt. Did you hear that? Familiarity breeds contempt. The first thing it says that Jesus went out from there. Where did he go out from? He went out from Capernaum. 
Capernaum, some say it that way, on the heels of calming a storm. We know that. We talked about that. Casting out many demons. We talked about that. Curing a woman of a disease for 12 long years. We talked about that. Raising the dead daughter of a well-known synagogue official. And Jesus decides to come home. It's time to go home. Some are waiting to go home now that the Things have changed. Some are waiting to come home here, right? We think, well, you know, let's go home. But that's not what's happening here because we know for the next verse, it says he came into his hometown, the same verse, but at the end of it, and his disciples followed him. See, he's not coming home now as the hometown boy. He's coming as the great rabbi, the great miracle worker, the great teacher, because his disciples are coming with him. And so he's entering into this town now as a rabbi. And so his disciples are excited. We're going to Jesus' hometown. But unfortunately, what they'll see instead is his harsh rejection. Here's a hard truth. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, expect rejection. You know that? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ... You need to understand that rejection comes as part of the package deal. See, we want to believe that everyone is going to love me and I have such a wonderful message to give and I'm doing things so loving and kind and caring and so that means everybody will treat me the way I want to be treated, the way, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. That's what life is all about. But we find when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to just being a person who loves Jesus, expect rejection. Expect it even more in these days. That's one of the things we need to understand. We're in so much shock by what we see that's happening in our world around us, in politics around us. The reality is that is the day we live in. Rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ is all around us. And it's best that we talk about it in his church. That we're prepared for it. That we realize it will happen, unfortunately. You know, I think part of the problem, I saw this and it really resonated with me, we fear rejection, we want attention, we crave affection, and we dream of perfection. Show me that in there. Jesus himself, as we'll see today, didn't have any of that. He actually received the opposite. He is God Almighty and he was rejected. Now we as his followers of Jesus Christ need to realize that rejection also can come our way. We don't go out seeking it. We don't go looking for it, but it can and most likely will come our way. And we need to be prepared for it. This mindset that we have that's in the flesh sets us up for failure and disappointment. If we think, I, re I remember in Bible school, you know, we all went off to Bible school. We all prepared for ministry and we're there preparing, thinking that we're the next best things in sliced bread and everyone's going to think we're, wow. Oh, what a lie from the enemy. <laughs> the farthest thing from the truth of what life in ministry is all about. 
And so these people spurn the supernatural. They've got God in the flesh standing before them, and they reject him. They reject Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't enter the town, and there's a great throng of people. There isn't a crowd like we've been talking about in the previous weeks. Remember the crowds, and they're crushing him, and they want to be around him. Actually, they're quite aloof, because we don't hear any of that in this passage. And so Jesus, being so careful, waits for the opportune moment. And what he waits for is that moment in the synagogue when they know, and he knows, any, it's a democratic system, and any rabbi that's traveling through town is invited to speak in the synagogue. So Jesus has been traveling into their town, and now they invite him to speak in the synagogue. And as he speaks in the synagogue, we're not told what he says. Many people believe the passage in Luke was uh, a previous visit, and we know in Luke he, he opened and read the book of Isaiah about the Messiah, and as he reads about the Messiah, they get so angry with him, they try to throw him all over a cliff. Some believe it's the same time. Others believe it was a previous time. We're not sure of that. But Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus said here. But what he does tell us, that they were astonished. The actual word means they were overwhelmed by what Jesus got up and said in the synagogue. They were blown away by what Jesus said in the synagogue. But sadly, that astonishment turned to cynicism and unbelief. And there's questions that they ask. They ask, first of all, about Jesus' authority. Look at that verse there. It says, where did this man get these things? You see, he's uneducated. In the Jewish system, we've talked about this before in the disciples, but we need to think about this as Jesus right now. In the Jewish system, when a boy turned 11 or 12, they decided who were the cream of the crop, and you would get to stay with the rabbi, and you would get to learn the things of God, and you were the one that would move on and be educated. That's why Paul says who he was. Paul was the cream of the crop. He became a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He moved his way up that ladder. Jesus, we're told, is what? A carpenter, which we'll see in a moment. Jesus didn't cut the cloth. He's not the cream of the crop of his town. Can you imagine that? God Almighty in the flesh didn't meet man's, <laughs> didn't meet man's standards. Isn't that something? And so Jesus didn't meet the standards. And so Jesus was given that he went back to the trades and praise God for trades. Hallelujah. And we heard about that last week with Evan and others that go into the trades. We need the trades. Jesus was a tradesman. Jesus was a blue-collar worker. That's why the Church of the Nazarene. We're called the Nazarenes because we said Jesus of Nazareth was a blue-collar worker, and he understands the individual that's hardworking. That's where the name Church of the Nazarene came from, though everybody thinks they don't know what it is, but that's where it came from. Jesus of Nazareth was blue-collar, hardworking carpenter but he was also then uneducated he didn't have a big position or title or name behind him he is this uneducated person without credentials they use this term this man and they use it cynically and they say where did this one get all his abilities this one they're using it very very insulting and then he said, where did Jesus get this wisdom, as we just talked about education? They're not concluding that Jesus got his wisdom from God. No way. 
And they actually say again, this term given to him, this one, it's an insult. They don't even call him a prophet or a rabbi or teacher at this point. They say, this one, this one, where did he get that? Then they said, where did Jesus get this power? Such miracles as he performed by his hands, verse 2. The word miracles here is the word power. Where did he get this power? He didn't have any of that growing up. I'm sure Jesus did, but they didn't know him. Isn't that sad that Jesus has spent his life in a town and they do not know him? Well, my friends, that happens all the time. We can sit in church and not know each other. Take the time to get to know each other. We can look at each other on the outward and come to conclusions without even knowing the person. And this is what's happening to Jesus here. And so they say they're not concluding that his power is from God. So they failed to honor what God was doing in Jesus. They didn't see his authority. They didn't see his wisdom. They didn't recognize his power. But you know what? Now it gets nasty. Now it really gets nasty. They begin to attack Christ's background. They, continue, they, they attack his family. They begin now to really attack. They said, you know, here he's just a common carpenter. So they're looking down upon him because of his profession. But you need to understand carpentry is quite a good profession and a wonderful profession. And I have carpenters in my family. But that's not what they're saying here. The actual term here originally in carpentry is the handyman. You realize when we say that, that Jesus was a carpenter? Jesus was the town's handyman. He was the one that could build a house, but then if you needed something fixed, he would come and fix it for you. So he was that guy, you know, that you'd call in need if you needed something fixed. He was that plumber that nobody wanted to do the plumbing. <laughs> I don't think they had plumbing in those days. <laughs> but, you know, just kind of Joe the plumber. <laughs> that was around in the politics a few years back. But this is Jesus is this handyman here. And so they're saying, isn't he the village's handyman? Who does he think he is? Oh, my friends, it's so easy for us as the church to evaluate people by the outward. To evaluate people by their profession. To evaluate people by the family or the way they came or whatever happened in their past. It is so easy for us to look at visually and evaluate people, demise people, realizing that God sees the heart. And God chooses the weakest that his glory might be manifested. And here they are looking down on the Lord God Almighty. Now here's where it gets really nasty. Then they begin to attack Jesus, and they say, isn't Jesus the illegitimate one? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? How do we know that here? Because in Jewish custom, a child was always known by the father's name. In other passages of scripture, it will say, wasn't he, it says he is the son of Joseph. In other, not this passage, but other passages. Many believe that Joseph at this point is dead, but there's more to it than this, because by them saying, isn't he the son of Mary, they're reminding Jesus and each other about his past, and how he is in their idea and their mindset, the illegitimate one. The one where his mother, basically, they're saying there that Mary was a harlot. And he is the child of a loose woman. 
Now, that's pretty low. Imagine our Lord is sitting there, those closest to him, and these are the kinds of things that they are saying to him. And finally, they threw their last insult, and they said, he's just an ordinary man. Aren't his brothers here with us, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't just his sisters with us? He's just one of us. Who does he think he is? And so in their pride, it caused them to rule out the most plausible thing that everyone else seemed to know, that he was God's Messiah. For him and for them, they said, no way, Uh, we're not going to believe this. And they respond with this unbelief. Here's what somebody said, and I think it's very profound. It's no different today. Your children see the Lord totally transform you in your life, but they continue to reject Jesus. Family members see radical salvation come to your home, yet still don't believe. Close friends will even turn away from you because of your faith in unbelief. You have been rejected. Your message, and sometimes laughed at and even ridiculed because of your faith. If there's ever a time today where our faith is ridiculed, it is what we see today in social media and all around. People are even afraid to say, I am a believer of Jesus Christ, and I believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way. Well, now you're narrow-minded, and you're a fool, and you're a fanatic, and all the different statements that have been coming around to us. Here's a hard statement. Listen. If Jesus' own family didn't understand him, what makes you think that your family will? Did you get that? If Jesus' own family didn't understand him, what makes you think that your family will understand you and your faith? He couldn't convince his own family here. No matter how much he tried, his true identity was standing before them, and they chose unbelief instead of believing. And our families often, no matter what we say or do, will choose unbelief. That's a hard lesson today, and we need to talk about it as the church of Jesus Christ. It's a tragedy. It is terrible. But the reality is Jesus is in his hometown, the Lord God Almighty, and they are not accepting him, they are not receiving him, and they are choosing unbelief with him standing before them. We go around and we keep talking to them and we browbeat people and we challenge them and we do all these things and we need to realize that doesn't change a thing. They still stand before us in that pride and unbelief. What are we to do? Well, you know, I'm going to say it and you've heard me say it time and time again. You have to pray. That is the weapon we have been given, the power we have been given to our friends and our families and our colleagues and our loved ones that we are praying for. We are praying that the Lord will soften their hearts. That is what Scripture says to us. We think we need to talk more. We think we need to point out the Scripture to them, and this is what the Lord says. They know what the Lord says. They've rejected it. They don't want it. They don't feel it's important. What we need to do is get on our knees and pray that the Lord will open and soften their hearts. That's when revival and renewal comes. Because the Holy Spirit has got to do his work in them like he did in us. That somebody prayed for us, hallelujah, and I'm here today because they did. 
And so it's so beautiful here in Acts 16, verse 14. Yes, this is not what you wanted to hear, but this is the tool and the weapon we need to hear today. Acts 16, verse 14, the scripture says, I could give you more, but I'll just give you one as we need to move on. A woman named Lydia was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul was saying. Friends, we think, oh, just prayer. Prayer is the most powerful weapon we have when it comes to the faith and the change of heart of our loved ones. God needs to soften their hearts. At the end of verse 3, it says they took offense at him. Isn't that something? They have, they have been rude and obnoxious to Jesus. Now they're taking offense and the word actually means that he's like a stumbling, they were st- like a stumbling block. And they're not going to see Jesus any other way than human. And they're not going to view anything about what he has to say or want his faith or see him as Messiah. And so this will be Jesus' last visit to his hometown. Sad, sad, sad. He's basically going to do, as we'll be looking, brushing the dust off his feet and moving on. See, it's heartbreaking. I I remember we were at a pastor's retreat many, many years ago, and guess what? You know, God works quite, it's quite neat how God works, because the speaker who was supposed to come to our clergy retreat up in Ontario canceled and didn't come, and so our DS then, who's now the national director, Ian, Ian Fitzpatrick, became the speaker and a few other people. And there was one statement. He, he began to talk about some of this and talked about the heartbreak that we carry as pastors. And he made this statement that always stayed with me. If we win the whole world but lose our family, oh God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. See, we can be about the Lord's business and we can be winning the loss But what about our family? What about our own? Now hear me right. It's not that we get here and all we pray about is our family. Family, family, family. But we continually give our family to the Lord, as I just said. And we ask the Lord to soften their hearts, to open their hearts, to make them ready for the gospel. Send people their way, Lord. Do what you need to do, Lord. And the power of prayer. Jesus is heartbroken here. And so he goes ahead and he says to them, He says, I had to move ahead because I had them in wrong order, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Those that know us best will not see what God is doing in our hearts and lives. They will not see the power of God. They just know us as a brother or sister, a parent or a child. And so we need to realize that. I like what somebody said here. They did not reject him because he lacked the truth, but because they rejected the truth. They refused forgiveness because they wanted to keep their sins. They denied the light because they preferred the darkness. The reason for rejecting the Lord has always been that people prefer their own way to God's way, period. The person who heard the gospel many times but continually asked for more evidence of its truth is merely revealing their hard headed, stiff-necked unbelief. Another way to say it. And ultimately, it's their choice. Do you know, we read John 3.16 so much. And, and so it's interesting, as you read John 3.16, 
you have to think about those verses that come after. And you know, when you think about the verses that come after, it says, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. See, we go around saying, God is judging you, God is judging you. And I've said to people so many times, there's the passage that says we've judged ourselves. We judge ourselves the moment we choose not to believe what God has given us. We judge ourselves as non-believers. We judge ourselves because we choose the dark instead of the light. We choose to do it our way instead of God's way. We choose evil instead of goodness, and therefore we stand judged. It's not God who judges me. I've brought that judgment on myself because God has presented me with the wonderful truth, and instead I've chose my own way. The Apostle John said that Christ, we heard this right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. See, the people of Nazareth were like people throughout history of the church who can find every foolish reason to justify their rejection of the gospel. They don't like the attitude of the witness. They think most church people are a bunch of hypocrites. You've heard the excuses. They think the preacher is too loud, too soft, too stuffy, too overbearing, too fat, and the services are too formal, too informal, too long, boring. They are offended at the slightest things that Christians do and construe the insignificant as being the most important. They put up with smokescreen after smokescreen, one excuse after another excuse, their unwillingness to believe the clear and demanding claims of the promises of Christ. It's the tragedy of unbelief. Now hear me right, we need to live godly, upright lives as the church of Jesus Christ. We don't want to give anyone an excuse to stay away from Christ. But let's face it, I know in my own life, a lot of it is just excuses. Because I don't want to deal with the truth of what Christ, who he is, and what he did for me, and what I need to do in accepting him and receiving him. And so it's so sad in this story. We're told in verse 5, he could do no miracles there. Did very few, very little. He, he's a hometown boy. He is the Messiah of the Lord. He has spent years with them, 20 plus years with them. He's now coming home and he wants the gospel and the miracles to break forth. And he knows Aunt so-and-so has been sick and this one over there has been struggling. And he wants to come and bring the blessing of God Almighty. And they reject him. And he can do nothing there. Very little because of their unbelief. So unbelief then becomes this barrier to divine blessing. And because of unbelief of the people of Nazareth, we know that he wasn't able to do a whole lot there. See, we need to realize this verse is not talking about Jesus' inability. He was able to do it. 
It's more about the people's inability to receive it and believe it. And so therefore they rejected him and he will reject them. See, we have a responsibility as the church of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility every time we come in to worship. Are we here inviting the Lord to come and be with us and we are going to be conduits of what God is wanting to do in this place or are we going to be roadblocks? Are, are, are we going to hinder the work of God in this place and in our community? Or are we going to help the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do and bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? That's our role as the church of Jesus Christ. And you know what's so beautiful in this passage, despite all this, this just, just blows me away, that the Lord, the Lord, it stirs his heart. His heart is broken he wondered, he, and he wondered, verse 6, at their unbelief. Christ was astonished at their unbelief. The Lord is blown away by their unbelief. And, and, and it was a heavy reaction. It was hurtful. It was hateful. And yet it touched the heart of Christ. And I think about us in the midst of rejection. What do we do? What are we called to do? I remember when they tried to push Moses out of the way, and it says that Moses fell on his face and interceded for the people. He could have walked away. He could have said, good riddance. I would have understood that. Instead, it said he fell on his face and he interceded for them. See, we're starting to touch the heart of Jesus as the church of Jesus Christ, that when we've been rejected, when all kinds of vile things have been said about us, that we get on our knees and we begin to pray for them and intercede for them. What's sickening with this event is the wind, the water, the demonic, the disease, and death itself yielded to Christ's authority. But here, the human heart reacted in unbelief because ultimately, unbelief is an act of the will. It's a choice. You either accept him and the truth, or you reject him. As I bring this to a close today, whoop, we're jumping ahead again here. There we go. As I bring this to a close today, there's just a couple things I want to bring to our attention. Be careful about despising the ordinary. Remember how God spoke to Moses the first time. He used a burning bush. Moses was a murderer. And in God's hands, something ordinary becomes extraordinary. And we see that, that Moses, as he stands before Pharaoh, holds his staff, his shepherd's staff that he had for years, and it becomes a serpent in his hand. When the prophet Samuel traveled to anoint a new king, he goes to the oldest of Jesse, and he assumes it'll be the oldest, and he goes down to all of them until it's the runt of the family, the youngest of the family, a young boy tending the sheep. That's who God chooses to be the next king, and the, one of the greatest kings that Israel will ever know. I already said that God chooses the weak that his power might be manifested. Be very, very careful, church, how we look at people, how we look at the ordinary. We know I read at the beginning today about Jesus. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. 
So don't despise the ordinary. Here's not a popular message. I know when it's not popular because there's not too many amens. <laughs> Expect rejection. If you are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are speaking the truth, if you are living a godly, holy life, it rubs people the wrong way. I have picked it up in my spirit sometimes. I haven't even said a word. I've walked into a room and people stop talking because I'm there. Because they know I'm a pastor. Or in your family, they know you're a Christian. And we've seen it. There's all kinds of forms of rejection and ridicule. And I want to say to you, don't be afraid of that. What we need to do in that is what Jesus did. You take your stand. You take your stand. You don't go around thumping people with the Bible. It was never meant for that. You know, we just like to knock a few of them over the head, and that would be all would take care of it. Or as I get my, my fairy wand, and I just go like this, and they... Believe Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Just take your stand. Don't give up doing what you've always done. Don't compromise. If there's anything that the church seems to want to keep doing today is compromise. Are you willing today to be rejected for Christ? Are you willing to face ridicule? after all that he faced for you. Now, here's some good news. You want ready for some good news? I think you're ready for some good news. Because this is not, again, an easy message. Here's some comfort for us who have been praying for our unbelieving family members. We don't really know how many came to faith, uh, you know, in that situation after the fact, after the Lord's resurrection. I think if I didn't believe Jesus at this point and he stood before me fully resurrected, I think I would believe at that point. <laughs> but, you know, we do know that Mary came to faith. His own mother, get that, his own mother who gave birth to him and knew him as a child came to faith. We know that James came to faith because we have the book of James, and James, his brother James, became the head of the church in Jerusalem after Pentecost. And we know that Judas, Jude, the book of Jude, is Jesus's other brother that he came to faith. And so we know that we know, historically, we can say there were those that day who rejected him, but later came to faith. And so that is our hope today, too, that as we stand firm in our faith, as we continue doing what we've always done, as we pray for the Holy Spirit to soften their hearts, we can believe in good faith that our loved ones and our neighbors and our colleagues will come to faith. Do you believe that today? We need to believe that today. That's why we need to be praying, because we believe that, that God can change lives and transform people. Here's the last thing. Familiarity breeds contempt. I'm afraid that we can become a lot like the people of Nazareth. Somebody was doing a quote, and they said, those Nazarenes, those Nazarenes, those Nazarenes. And they were talking about the people of Nazareth, and I'm reading it going, ouch, ooh, <laughs> We're known as the Nazarenes. 
And so, you know, we need to be careful that we are so familiar with the things of God, the Lord's table, the message, the Bible, services, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, that we're no longer moved by them. We, we just go through it. It can become rote. It, it just, you know, are you moved by the things of God? If I was to sit you down today and say, what is God doing in your heart today? How has God spoken to you today? What is God changing in your life today? We should be able to give an up-to-date report. I don't want to hear what God did in your life 25 years ago. That's great. But I want to hear what God is doing in your life today. So we need to be careful that familiarity does not breed contempt in our own lives. If we come to the house of the Lord expecting if we come prayed up and believing that God can do amazing things in our lives, I believe that when we have that attitude, we will see the miraculous break forth in our midst. We will see lives change and transform. But the truth of it is today, if we don't want Jesus here, he will not stay. If you don't want Jesus as the center of your home, as the center of your life, if you don't want him as the center of this church, he will not stay. He will move on. It is because we welcome him here in this place that he stays, that he waits, that he meets with us, or he'll travel on. Lord, I just pray in this moment now, that we as the church at Elmsdale want to welcome you here right now in this place. You are welcome here, Lord. We want to hear what you want to say to us. We want to respond today to your word. We want to be open to the move of your Holy Spirit. We want you to be welcome here, always welcome here. Here is that last statement that's just a quick quip. Often men's rejection is God's redirection for our protection. Did you hear that? Often man's rejection is God's redirection for our protection. Sometimes God is going to move you out and move you on because he knows he needs to protect you and help you, and he'll work on that other person. <laughs> you pray for them and allow God to do what he needs to do with the others. I want to share a story about a cousin. This cousin, you know, the family would make fun of him and different things, and they would always, I won't say his name, but they would always challenge us about him. And then I got news. I was up in Ontario. We had, our two oldest were just small kids at the time, very small. And uh, we got news. People had been talking that he had come to faith. Now they ridiculed him even more. They made fun of him, and Oh, he's a fanatic, you know. He, he just, all he wants to do is talk about Jesus. Mike and I were far from faith at that time. We were living worldly, very worldly lives, and we joined in the chuckle and the laughter as he was so in love with Jesus, and all he wanted to talk about was Jesus, and can he talk about something else? Dear Lord, that's all. Oh, dear. And then, then we found out that aunt and uncle and him were coming to visit. Well, we cringed. And he came to visit, and I can still see our little table in our dining room. And I put on, I was very polite, and I put on my best lunch for my family, just a simple lunch, and we sat around there, and guess what? And guess what he talked about? He sat there and talked about Jesus. <laughs> and I just thought, oh. 
Mike and I had turned our backs on Jesus. We had been both raised in two separate churches and denominations, but we didn't want to hear about Jesus. Oh, we knew about Jesus. We respected about Jesus, but we didn't want to hear about Jesus. And so he was just so excited about the things that God had done in his life. And I must be honest, I'm being honest today, when we both closed the door and he had left, we were happy. We weren't rude. We never said anything to him. We just sat there as good family members and we listened. And then when he was gone, it was like, oh, he's gone. We don't have to listen to that right now anymore. Two weeks later, we got news that he had died He was crushed on the ferry in Borden, and he had passed. At that moment, I I felt terrible. I was so distraught. I just thought, Lord, how how did I treat him? Did I do, you know, in those moments, we think differently, don't we? I didn't realize till after, it was within weeks, at this time, my parents had come to faith in Uncle Verbal's church in Pennsylvania, so they were now praying for the family, and they had come to faith and praying for us. They were there that day too, by the way. And then I heard through them that that Sunday night before he died, he stood up in a Sunday evening service and said that He wanted God to save his parents no matter what it took. And lo and behold, my aunt and uncle came to faith right after his funeral. And died in the Lord. As you know, Mike and I came to faith after that the one that we laughed at and rejected and ridiculed was speaking the truth all along. We just didn't know it. We didn't see it. We didn't understand it. We were afraid of it. And so we rejected and made fun and laughed and brushed it off. But God was working on our hearts. And I believe he prayed for us. I believe that day as he left that home, he prayed for us. And my parents prayed for us. And he prayed for his parents. Praise God. They're at the feet of Jesus today because of it. And he was willing to face any ridicule for the cause of Christ. I don't want this just to be emotionalism. I'm trying to get a point across today. Would you stand? Let's sing this closing song. If you need to remain seated because you don't want to wear the mask, I understand that. It's not important. But as we sing this closing song, maybe you're the one today that you feel that you're ridiculed and rejected and your family doesn't seem to get it. And you want to come today and pray and say, Lord, help me to pray just to know that praying that you would soften their hearts that I can trust you. Maybe some of you need to come to faith today and you need to nail it down and say, I've been rejecting it and rejecting it and rejecting it. And today I want to receive Christ as my Savior and Lord. I know the truth and I'm no longer going to make excuses. Maybe some of us need to say, I've just become too comfortable with all the things of God. And I'm wanting the Lord to awaken and do something new and fresh and up-to-date in my life. I don't ever want to turn Jesus away.
I want to welcome him openly. I feel I've done my part today. I'll say no more. Let's sing this song, and you do business with Jesus as you feel fit today. And then I'll pray. God bless you.